Hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes, and we'll pray that my uh, voice holds up with the difficulty I've been having with my uh, throat. So, uh, Doug, you may have to jack me up a little more than normal. I don't know that I'll be able to preach with the dynamics I normally do. I'm going to have to be careful. Um, only two more studies in our uh, series, Excelling in Our Love uh, for One Another. And uh, both of these uh, uh, two remaining messages will be taken from uh, the book of First John. Uh, today we come to uh, Lesson 20 in this series that I've entitled The Key to Fellowship. And by that I mean not only fellowship with God, but a fellowship with one another. Our focal passage will be the first seven verses of First uh, John. And the one another verse is verse 7, which reads, But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus himself, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let's begin by getting some uh, background uh, to First John. Uh, you'll see there in your notes, of course, the author, John, uh, the last surviving apostle of Christ, uh, wrote First John. Uh, we believe he wrote it between 90 and 95 A.D. Uh, when he was in his 80s. Uh, we believe John spent the last decades of his life uh, in the city of Ephesus, uh, where he helped pastor the church there, as well as other churches in the region, and where he wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And of course, I think most of you are aware of the fact that at the very end of his life, uh, because of his allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Romans banished him to the very small, uh, barren island, uh, Patmos, in the Aegean Sea. And of course, it's there where he received his visions from God and wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, so look now in your notes at the occasion or the reason uh, why John was prompted to write 1 John. Uh, a crisis had arisen, uh, a crisis in the church, due to a group of church leaders and members leaving the church. And we see that in uh, 1 John 2.19. Uh, to establish a rival church uh, built on a counterfeit Christianity that became known as Gnosticism uh, by the beginning of the second century. Uh, Gnosticism uh, began to raise its ugly head toward the end of the uh, first century, and it did pose one of the greatest threats uh, to the early church. Uh, as I just mentioned, Gnosticism did not come into full development until the second century, so uh, the Apostle John was confronting it in its very uh, earliest stages and forms. Now, how, how would you describe Gnosticism? Well, it's uh, not easy to do. Uh, Gnosticism was a hodgepodge of beliefs, which blended uh, aspects of Christianity with Greek intellectualism and Eastern mysticism. And although Gnosticism took on different forms, uh, there were two main beliefs, two common denominators. The one, 
the impurity of matter, and second, the supremacy of knowledge that was imparted by their leaders through uh, mystical experiences. Now, concerning the impurity of matter, Gnostics taught that all matter, anything that you could see, anything that you could touch, is inherently evil, while spirit is good. Uh, This led them to deny four cardinal truths of Christianity, and this is why they pose such a serious threat uh, to Christianity. First, uh, Gnostics denied that God created the universe. Uh, Gnostics believe since the material universe is inherently evil, God, who is spirit and good, could never have created it. Uh, They taught that there were a series of of beings uh, that emanated from God, each one sort of further removed from God until there emerged one of those beings remote enough from God uh, to create the material universe. Uh, The second thing the uh, Gnostics denied was the incarnation of Christ. Since matter is evil, Gnostics could not conceive of God becoming a man. And even more inconceivable uh, was God subjecting himself to human suffering. Uh, We know from early church history that John specifically battled a Gnostic leader whose name was Serenthus, Uh, who John called the enemy of truth. Serenthus, and here's a good example of of, uh, one of the variant forms of Gnosticism, he taught that Jesus uh, was not born of a virgin, uh, that he was not God come to the world in human flesh, but that he was the biological son of both Mary and Joseph. Serenthus taught that Jesus was more righteous, uh, was more wise than other men, And that at his baptism, Christ, the Son of God, descended upon him in the form of a dove, which resulted in his uh, supernatural teachings and miracles. But before the cross, Serenthus taught that Christ departed from Jesus, leaving the man, Jesus, to suffer, die, and be raised from the death. Uh, Serenthus separated Jesus and Christ, thus denying the incarnation, the truth that God became a man. The third thing that the Gnostics denied was the atoning work of Christ, and it's pretty obvious to see that. If Jesus was not both God and man, which they taught, then when he suffered and he died, he could not have been an acceptable and sinless sacrifice for sin. Uh, The the, uh, Gnostics' denial of the deity and humanity in the one God-man, Jesus Christ, of course, destroys salvation through atonement. The fourth cardinal truth of Christianity that the Gnostics denied was the bodily sanctification of a believer. And this is uh, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Since Gnosticism taught that the human body... Um, is evil, Uh, then it sort of served as a prison which sort of incarcerated the good human spirit. Therefore, they believe that whatever a person does with his body has absolutely no effect on his spirit. 
They taught that no matter what your body does, the real you, the spirit, remains good, perfect, and sinless. This caused them to be totally indifferent to moral values and per, per, uh, permitted the grossest forms of license, while at the same time they claimed to be uh, perfect, claimed to be sinless. So the Gnostics denied the Christian doctrines of creation, incarnation, atonement, and sanctification. Now I said the second common denominator among Gnostics was the supremacy of knowledge that they believe came through a, uh, their leaders, these uh, spiritual elite individuals, and it would come through mystical experiences. Gnostics believe that the way uh, to salvation was the release of the human spirit from its imprisonment in the human body. They believe that uh, their leaders, these spiritual elites, uh, could through uh, mystical experiences uh, uh, affect this release in those that uh, place themselves under their teaching. So they had these very special initiation services where the spiritual elites would impart to others the secret knowledge that they needed uh, to have to unlock uh, the prison door of the body and release the spirit. Uh, and Gnostics considered the initiated as truly spiritual people while they despised the ordinary run of Christians. And this led to them being very prideful, a very selfish, and of course, a very loveless lifestyle, which John often denounces in 1 John. So look now in your notes at the purpose of 1 John. So the occasion, what prompted him to write, was to address uh, this false teaching, but the purpose, of course, to distinguish, in light of that, to distinguish genuine Christianity from its counterfeits by refuting the false teachers and reassuring his readers of the certainty of the Christian faith. Now look at how uh, at fellowship defined. And this is a very as important aspect of uh, John's teaching. And uh, we could define fellowship, a partnership between persons who place all they are and possess at one another's disposal, share common interest, and work together to achieve a common Go. And as I mentioned, this matter of fellowship was very important to John. And one of John's main points throughout 1 John is that just because a person preaches or talks about Jesus actually means very little. Before having fellowship with them, you need to ask, which Jesus are they preaching? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul warns about one who comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. In that same chapter, he writes about false, false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And let me just add right here, we must never forget as believers that Satan is at his best in the realm of light. Uh, we normally think you're going to find Satan in places of darkness, uh, dealing with uh, gross sin and perversion. And, of course, that is true. But where he is at his very best is not outside the church, but inside the church. At taking God's Word and twisting it, distorting it, uh, to uh, uh, divide the church, to diminish the church's power, 
uh, to wreck our testimony and to prevent us from fulfilling the mission that God has given us in taking the gospel to the whole world. Uh, therefore, John, what John does in light of this, he begins his epistle, especially in light of the Gnostic heresy, by identifying the true Jesus as presented in the Bible and proclaimed by the apostles. So look at the first major point in your sermon notes. Fellowship with God, and this is what John is trying to drive home in these first four verses as he sort of lays the foundation for for the book. Fellowship with God is only possible for those who first have entered a relationship with God by believing in and submitting to the person of Christ. So fellowship with God is only possible for those who have first entered a relationship with God by believing in and submitting to the person of Christ, of course, as revealed in the Scriptures. And what John does in these first four verses is he gives four cardinal truths about Jesus which can never be compromised. In other words, it's sort of a line that he's drawn in the sand. And he says, Christianity is all about the person and work of Jesus. And these are four cardinal truths about Christ where there can be no compromise if you're going to call yourself a true Christian. And, of course, the first one, look at the next four, four bullet points. These are the cardinal truths. The first one, the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. That Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Uh, you'll notice as I've uh, uh, given you uh, the verses, verses 1 through 4, as we walk through these uh, four cardinal truths about Jesus, I've underlined uh, the portions... That, there in your notes of that scripture that relates to each of the areas. So you'll see here for the deity of Christ, uh, as we look at verses 1 and 2, what was from the beginning, he's referring to Jesus, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the, what, word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you, what, the eternal life which was in the Father and was manifested to us. You know, the best commentary on these first two verses of 1 John is uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, which uh, you're all familiar with. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. Not just with God, but He was God. Of course, that's referring to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was with God. God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then another great cross reference is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's also important to remember that Christ claimed 
to be God, and it was for this reason he was crucified. John chapter 5, verse 18 says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews responded. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Now the point is this. How can a person claim to follow Jesus if he denies who Jesus claimed to be? So uh, the first truth that we see that... uh, Uh, John says uh, no true believer can compromise with is the deity of Christ. Look at the second, though, the humanity of Christ. Again, we're back to one of the things that the Gnostics denied, that in the one man Jesus was both God and man. Uh, But here we see the humanity of Jesus, that he entered human history as a man to die as the Savior of the world and rise again as Lord of all. And again, going back to uh, those first two verses of 1 John, the underlying portion sort of emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, what was from the beginning. Notice what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled. He's referring to their personal encounter and uh, involvement with Jesus concerning the word of life. And that life was what? Manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was manifested to us. So notice at the heart of the Christian message is that the eternal deity, the eternal deity entered human history and manifested himself to human beings in the form of a man. Those alive at the time that Jesus ministered, Uh, they could uh, hear him with their ears. They could see him with their eyes. They could literally touch him with their hands. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ is part of earth's recorded history that can be verified by the same standards used to verify any other historical person. You cannot be a Christian or claim to be a Christian and at the same time deny the incarnation. Uh, matter of fact, the apostle uh, John in 2 John, verse 7 wrote, For many deceivers have come into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. And then just uh, several verses that emphasize the humanity of Christ. John 1, verse 14 We already alluded to John 1, verses 1 and 2. And in the beginning was what the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word, Jesus, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. What a marvelous passage to affirm the deity of, I mean, the humanity of Christ, uh, but at the same time, not excluding his deity. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed 
in the very form of God. And that word form means he was the very essence of God, God himself. Although he existed in the very form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then another great passage that stresses the humanity of Christ, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, since the children, referring to you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power over death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery All their lives. And then verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So we have the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. And look at the third thing that uh, John emphasizes, the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only way to salvation. Now, throughout church history, to this day, this is the one doctrine of Christ that is most hated and attacked. And when I say the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, I mean that apart from faith in Jesus, a person is excluded from salvation and heaven. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. There is only one, and that road is Jesus Christ. Uh, Again, look at verse 3. And we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and what? With His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 4.12 could not be clearer on this point. And there is salvation... In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that had been given among men by which we must be saved. And you're all familiar with John 14, 6. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, and now the inclusivity of Christ. And what I mean by that is he offers salvation to the whole world. In other words, Jesus is the only way to salvation, but he offers that salvation to the whole world. Uh, John says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have a fellowship with us. Notice John says that the reason Jesus Christ manifested himself to the disciples was why? So that they could proclaim him to others. The revelation of Christ was given to the few for the many. They were to dispense him, proclaim him to the world. So although salvation is exclusively in Christ alone, the world... The whole world is included in the offer of salvation. Uh, 1 John 2.2, 2, 
And he, Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And, of course, you're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's the first thing that uh, John drives down in his book in his answer to this uh, era of Gnosticism that everything comes down to what you believe and submit to concerning the person of Jesus Christ. And he's laying down these four cardinal truths concerning the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ, and the inclusivity of Christ. And then look at the second point. The second point. Fellowship with God is experienced only when we expose ourselves to the light of Christ's character and truth in order to repent of all sin and bring our lives in harmony with His. Fellowship with God is experienced only when we expose our lives to the light of Christ's character and truth in order to repent of all sin and bring our lives in harmony with His. In other words, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Yes, we have a relationship with Christ through faith in Him, but am I walking intimately with Him? Am I walking in harmony with Him? Am I walking uh, in a love relationship uh, with Him? Uh, We read there in verse 5, and this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Now look at the next question in your notes. What does it mean that God is light? We don't want to make this complicated. Bottom line, God possesses a transparent purity that removes darkness, makes visible what is with the power to produce life and growth and beauty. In other words, if you go into a dark room, you can't, what, see anything. You flip the light on, and what? Suddenly with the light, what is is made abundantly clear. It's revealed. So, God's light reveals what is. It reveals both the ugliness of evil, but the beauty of goodness and holiness. Uh, But the amazing thing about God's light that the Bible teaches, God's light not only exposes what is, but it has the power to transform. It has the power to give life, to bring growth, to bring transformation. Uh, Those verses are listed there. Let me share some of them with you. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in him was life. And the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, couldn't put it out. 
John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then I love Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light, notice this is what light of Christ, the light of God produces. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then I love Psalm 36, 9. For with you, with God, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. That's a Hebrew parallelism where he, he, that he's, he's saying that life and light are basically synonymous terms. That God's light is what produces, produces uh, life. So, uh, God possesses a transparent purity that removes darkness, makes visible what is, with the power to produce life and growth and beauty. Now, look at the third point, and this is really our key point for this morning. Fellowship with God can be continually experienced by continually walking in the light of God. Fellowship with God can be continually experienced by continually walking in the light of God. Notice 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, what it, does it mean to walk in darkness. I don't believe that that is synonymous with walking in sin. Walking in darkness brings about sin. But I think there's a subtle difference, and I think I pointed out here. To walk in darkness is basically refusing to expose yourself to God's light. See, darkness is, is simply what? It's the absence of light. It's the absence of light. So to walk in darkness is when I refuse, and a believer can do this in our daily lives, is to refuse to expose yourself to God's light by walking in dishonesty before God and others. And here's the key, using pretense as an umbrella to hide yourself from God's light. You hear what I'm trying to say? And this is a great danger in the life of every believer. In other words, walking in the light is simply not being honest before God, putting on a spiritual mask, trying to project an image about yourself to God and others that's really not the real deal. And you know it, but you're just playing a game. You're just pretending. And John says, when you do that, that's walking in darkness. And that's going to definitely lead, what, to sin. 
when I lead an unexamined life, when all I try to do is attempt to minimize and excuse and justify uh, myself. Now, therefore, what does it mean walking in the light? Well, to walk in the light doesn't mean that you walk sinless, because notice in the very context it talks about the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin. Walking in the light, to walk in the light means to expose yourself to God's light by walking in total transparency before God and others. In other words, to agree with what God's light reveals and bring your life in harmony with it. So as a believer, I have a choice as I walk and live my life. And it's going to determine whether I have fellowship with God, know intimacy with God, know His power at work in my life or not. I can either walk in darkness where I don't become honest before God. I, I, li- I lead that unexamined life. And through pretense, I'm trying to hide from God's light, not get into God's light. Or I can walk in total honesty before God, total transparency, where I just come to God with all the junk in my life, with all the struggles in my life, with all the filth in my life. And the promise here is, if you come to God in total transparency and honesty about your failures, your deficiencies, your sin, not only will does God's light, of course, further expose that to give you an opportunity to confess it and to know God's cleansing, but as we mentioned, God's light not only exposes, but it has the ability to what? To transform. And that, this is what leads to growth. This is what leads to victory. So, that last question there in your sermon notes. Yes, every believer has a relationship with God. The question is, am I walking in fellowship with God? And that's the question that each of us need to answer this morning as we close. Am I walking before God in total honesty? In total transparency, am I deliberately and intentionally bringing my life before God to be examined? And that's something that we need to do continually. And that's what he's saying here. We have the opportunity to continually walk in that light, to maintain a life of honesty and transparency before God. And as we do, His blood will cleanse us, and His blood cleanses us that His power will change us. Because where God's blood cleanses, what the Spirit of God is released in great power to affect change and transformation in our hearts and in our lives. And of course, I hope you can see how this affects our fellowship with one another. The reason believers often don't have close fellowship is we're all trying to pretend too much to be something that we're not. And we never become honest about our problems and our struggles and our failures and our sin. And again, what John is emphasizing is the key to fellowship, the key to fellowship with God, the key to fellowship with one another. Is this matter of honesty and transparency. And as we become real before God, as we become real with one another, 
that's where we know true fellowship. And where we know true fellowship is where we know not only the power of God, but then you have also what? The opportunity for the body of Christ to encourage you in your struggles, to come along your side. And what do you discover as you do become honest? Hey, you're not the only one struggling with that. There are many other people in the body of Christ struggling with that. And there are those that have struggled with that that are further along in their growth with you. They can share with you. And they can share with you what God has taught them, which has brought them to a place of victory. And that's the key to, to, to real growth in the, in, the, in the body of Christ, this matter of fellowship. But we're never going to know that fellowship, which will lead to growth and change, until we're willing to become brutally honest about our lives before God and with one another and stop playing God, uh, games Stop wearing masks, putting on a show, and getting real with God. Getting real with one another. Father, um, a simple message today, but uh, I trust a very uh, powerful one and, and challenging one. Uh, Father, uh, we all, including myself, uh, know how easy it is to fall into this trap where it's just all about trying to project an image that I think uh, people would respect. Uh, and uh, so often we're unwilling to be totally honest before you and before others. But Lord, help us see this morning that it's in that honesty, that it's in that transparency with you and others that we come to know your light, not only exposing, but transforming, bringing victory, bringing growth. It's where we find the encouragement of the body and uh, where we develop a closeness with one another. So, Lord, I, I, my prayer today is simply that you would make us all to be real with one another and that we would... Uh, Acknowledge where we are, uh, knowing that uh, you don't plan to keep us there. But as we are honest, as we do expose ourselves to your light, that light will take us uh, further along that path of walking with Jesus. And in walking with Jesus, not knowing only his cleansing power, but his transforming power in our hearts and our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the invitation... <clears throat> is extended today. Uh, if you're here and you don't know Christ, great message for you to have heard uh, because that early part of the message was focused on the person of Jesus Christ, that the eternal God uh, loved you so much that he literally left heaven and took on the form of a man so that he could die for you on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin, and he rose again as Lord of all. And that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity isn't fundamentally about creeds and doctrines and this or that. I mean, those things are involved because Christianity is built on truth. But it's fundamentally truth about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ that actually invaded time, space, and history in that uh, manger in Bethlehem. 
and uh, walked among us to where he could be heard and seen and touched. And uh, the history of Jesus is clearly verified, just like any other historical figure. So the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? So what, uh, if you're an unbeliever, a great man of God years ago, C.S. Lewis, he said, when you look at Jesus' teachings, you really only have a few choices. And you, and you got you to determine which one you're going to go with. You got to say, Jesus was either a liar, because as we saw, he claimed to be God. So he's either a liar, he's just an absolute lunatic, crazy fool, or he's Lord of all. Amen. He's exactly who he said he was. And, uh, and of course, as we've seen, there is no salvation by any other name other than the name of Jesus. But praise God that that offer of salvation is made to the world. And so you have the opportunity to place your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And then as you come to know the light of His life, uh, that light will bring growth. That life will bring transformation as you continue to walk in honesty and transparency before God, uh, allowing Him to uh, uh, lead you along that uh, path. And then for those of you that are believers, again, I think a, a very powerful message today. Uh, again, that simple thought, yes, okay, you, you have a relationship with Christ, but are you walking in fellowship with Christ? I mean, are you really being totally honest and transparent before God? On a regular basis, are you going before God and saying, God, I'm, I'm coming into your light, and God, I'm wanting you to expose whatever needs to be exposed that would not be in harmony with your truth, that would not be in harmony with your character, that would be inconsistent with your truth and character. And then, Lord, as you expose that, praise God that your light not only exposes, but it gives the power for transformation as I'm honest and as I continue to be honest and allow you to expose myself. So I just, I just appeal to us as believers to not lead an unexamined life. And to become honest before God. And I plead with us to become honest with one another. Uh, because we need one another. Amen. We need to be honest with one another. Because it's in that honesty where we can come together and support and encourage one another. And love one another as God intended in the body of Christ. Amen. So as the invitation is extended, I'll be standing here uh, ready to receive anyone that would have a, a, a decision such as a profession of faith or desiring to unite with the church or whatever else uh, that God would lay on your heart. But again, I trust as we share this uh, last final song uh, that every one of us will begin right now to respond in our hearts to this truth. And the main thing is, yes, God, I desire to come into your light. I want to remove that umbrella of pretense, this game I've been playing, this image I've been trying to put before everybody that's just because of my pride, and I want to get real before you.
because that's the beginning of all growth. And there's no growth, no fellowship without it. So please stand as this last song we share together.